Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we nip our summer season in the bud with stories on the theme painting the roses red. During the slam, things got curiouser and curiouser as guest host Jessica Holmes randomly drew names from the hat during a madcap spill-the-tea party of five-minute stories recorded live at the Visual Arts Collective in Garden City, Idaho. Follow the White Rabbit. It's story time. Ready for this, Brian? Yes! Last, last story story, we're actually at the earlier story story. There's a lot of stories about penises. There were stories about some wooden penises and a guy was telling a pretty cool but didn't become a cool threesome story and his penis was a prominent member. And I'm sitting there in the audience and I'm like, I've got a penis. I've had a penis all my life. I've gotta have a penis story. And then I'm like, wait a minute. So me and my brothers, but it, it's actually, it doesn't even sound that way, but it starts with me and my brothers. We had this great idea. We're gonna surprise my mom in Virginia. So we all hop on our motorcycles and we drive to Virginia, about 2,500 miles. In the middle of the road, the trip, we're like, dang, that was easier said than done. But we get there, we're in Virginia. And I'm thinking, okay, we do our thing, we surprise our mom, we made a cool YouTube video that did not go viral but it was still pretty sweet. And then we're getting ready to go home. And I'm like, you know what? I am gonna prank my brothers. Now, growing up, I was always really conservative, right? Like penises, I had one, but I didn't share it. And, but I'm trying to come out. I'm trying to like, I'm gonna share my penis, I guess. I'm gonna be more open about this stuff. So I'm gonna get a dildo, a massive dildo, and I'm gonna hide it on my brother's motorcycle. Now, the only problem is we're in Virginia, and I don't know where to get dildos. Well, my sister, she's always been very open, very honest about stuff, so I go, Anne, I wanna get a dildo. And she didn't even ask why, she's like, all right, let's go, I know where to go. So we hop in the car, we drive to a sex shop, and as I'm driving to the sex shop, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to a sex shop with my sister. All right, we're going, we go into the sex shop, I'm like, all right, I want the biggest dildo you got here. And then my sister, she just busts up laughing. She's like, Brian, come here, come here, come here. There's this dildo that's taller than me. And I'm like, what would you do with a five foot plus dildo? So I'm like, no, no, okay, never mind. Let me rephrase. I did not even imagine what, a, what a, the biggest dildo could be. So I'm like, I just want a really big dildo. So we found this beautiful nine inch cock, right? This thing's massive, big girth and some testes hanging out. I'm like, that's the one. And it was bright pink. So I, 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 I buy this with my sister and it is weird the entire, I couldn't get comfortable. I mean, there's like naked people and things everywhere. And I'm standing next to my sister and she's starting to tell me stories about, oh, and this does this. And then I really enjoyed that. I'm like, okay, I know I'm trying to be more open and liberal about this stuff, but I need you to stop. I just, this is not working for me. So I buy my big pink dildo. And I go back and I'm like giggling, right? I'm super excited because I'm gonna put this on my brother's motorcycle. So I, I hide this pink dildo right next to my brother's shiny BMW symbol because he's driving a BMW. And we're packing up our bikes and he's like, what is this? And he goes to reach it and he's like, ah! Because it was a big pink dildo. So then the game for the next 2,500 miles 
for four days coming home is we got to hide the dildo on each other's bikes. So the dildo disappeared, and my two brothers, they love to pick on me. They love to pick on me because they're both six foot something. And they're younger than me, and they think they're all that. In fact, one time, I'm on my motorcycle, and I have this problem where I'm like tippy ballerina on the motorcycle. I'm good. I can actually one-cheek it on the motorcycle. I'm really good at this. Except for this one time, my brothers, they pull up right next to me, and then they push me over, and then they push me back over, and I'm so short, I can't stop it. There's like, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, ah, ah. So to get back at them, I got the dildo, but to get back at me, what they did is somehow they came up with duct tape in the middle of this trip in the middle of Arkansas, and they duct taped the dildo right underneath my taillight. So now, as we're going down the freeway, Mr. Pink is doing this going down. And I go to gas up, and I'm like, damn it, I see the dildo. So then I got it, and I, I decided, I'm gonna stash this, because this is gonna be good, this is gonna be good. Well, we, we hit the next gas station, it's about 120 miles, and then I put it right on top of my brother's bags. I mean, it was like an aerial. This thing's just sticking straight up. And he didn't see it. He didn't see it for three Phillips. That's, I think we crossed like four states. And this thing, Mr. Pink is just proud, waving in the freeway right there in the wind. And we, my brother and I, my other brother, we're just like, we're giggling like the entire time. This was the funniest thing. And Mr. Pink, he's starting to turn a little brown. The road was not being gentle to him. So we get to Idaho. We pull over and we take the classic, you know, oh, welcome to Idaho, yeah, we made it. We take off super fast, that's what you do on a motorcycle. And the crazy thing is, anyone here ride motorcycles? Okay, well, <laughs> nobody's perfect, it's okay. There's something called the death wobble. And this is actually kind of serious, this is where the bike starts to jerk back and forth. Well, my brother's bike, with his big dildo, goes into a death wobble, and not any death wobble. This death wobble is actually very, very, very deadly. It's where the bike, the handlebars start doing this, and he's doing 85 miles an hour. And the bike started oscillating so much, the back tire lifted, it caught, and then his motorcycle started literally falling through the sky down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. Thought I saw my brother die. But, it's a funny story, he didn't die. What's crazy, he walks away from this with just a freaking busted wrist and one cheek that no longer has hair. That was it! So, we're, we're, we're picking up the motorcycle, right? This motorcycle is spread across the freeway, and the freeway shut down at the Idaho border. So we're all picking it up, and the EMT's there. <laughs> and there's this bright, pink, slightly road rash dildo in the middle of the freeway. And I'm like, how can I paint this rose red? Uh, she's like, what is this? My best answer is, mm, I don't know. <laughs> It's the pink dildo. Why are you asking me? And that was the story of the pink dildo. Rebecca. Rebecca. Let's do this. <laughs> It's bright up here. Jessica's already heard this story. I'll try to deliver it a little different, though. Um, so this is a dating story. Um, I'm somebody that's been single for a little while, and I think I want to date, but I really don't want to date, so I typically do relationships that are long distance, so they're safer, and you don't really have to get to know somebody. And, uh, and they keep them over there, but they can come visit when I feel like they should visit, so I love that, right? So a few years ago, a friend of mine fixed me up with her, boy, her boyfriend's roommate, right? So I thought this was a safe person 
Um, because, you know, you want to weed out serial killers and, you know, other like vetting processes that you go through when you are dating somebody you don't know. So he comes into town. He lives out of state. I meet him for pizza. He seems fairly benign, funnier than shit. So I love funny. I'm like, this guy's in. We begin dating the whole long distance dating thing. And it's awesome. You know, phone call, emotional support, sex when he comes into town, doesn't have to meet my children and I don't have to drive anywhere. I can still get all my shit done. And he's not interrupting my life, which is really important because I was focused on my MFA and I did not want some guy messing it up and or interrupting my system that I had. I'm kind of structured. So it was working and it worked for like a year. Like he came into town month after month. Um, my understanding was he worked in productions. He had this roommate named Jeff. His name was Grant. They don't live here, so I can say their names, their real names. And, uh, <laughs> right? That's okay. Is this recorded? <laughs> um, so, so, okay, awesome. Um, so anyways, Jeff and Grant, friends, um, that I don't talk to anymore, so it's fine, but they're friends of mine on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so after a year, I decide I'll drive to Oregon. I won't say what town they live in, because that will surely give the whole thing away. Um, I decide it's spring break. I'm going to take my sons to, you know, go to their house. Now, my sons have met Grant, and he's really funny, and they love him. Like, they have fallen in love with this guy, and he, he's a great guy. Seems like a great guy in productions. He was a drummer for our RCA at some point, and um, at the time I was on television, so we did a lot of our talk revolved around television, production, creative ideas, and that type of thing, and I'm a writer, so we had, like, great interaction going on. So after, I think, seven hours on the road and a lot of stops to get to his place in Oregon, I pull up to this big house. And I'm sure it's the only house on the street. There's like no other houses. There's a lot of fields around it. I pull up, and I'm not shitting you. There's a Ferris wheel like that you see at a carnival, like the Ferris wheel, the big Ferris wheel in the yard. And I'm like, surely I have the wrong house. So I tell my, and, and not only was there a Ferris wheel, next to there's like an out shed thing that's bigger than the house, right? I don't know what's in it. I don't know. I still don't know to this day, which is probably good. But next to that was the same size as that out house thing, not really an outhouse that you go to the bathroom in, like an out building, was a pirate ship. But it wasn't like a real ship. It was a fake pirate ship, but it was bigger than the house, okay? So my sons are like, yes, score! This is like the best place in all the land. There's a Ferris wheel. There's a, a ship. We're going to have a blast. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, so I'm like, kids, stay in the car. I, I'm, we're not at the right place. Obviously, this is not the right place. So I walk up to the door, and I lock the car, and I... <laughs> I have my phone, my keys, maybe like a stick to stab someone. I don't know. I walk up to the door. I ring the bell. And my boyfriend of a year in productions didn't answer the door. Another guy named Frank that I don't know. Well, I do now, but I didn't at the time. He answers the door. And he goes, hi, you must be Rebecca. So now I know I'm at the right place because he knew my name. There's not a lot of Rebecca's. And, uh, and I'm like, hi. Um, does Grant live here? Grant and Jeff, like they're roommates here. And Grant like comes up from the background and then I notice there's like black and white pictures on the back wall but I haven't really looked at them very closely yet. And Frank says, yeah, yeah, Grant's here. And Grant's like jumping up and down to try to like get to me, you know, like, hi, how are you? 
And uh, Frank's like, now Grant told you like about our arrangement, right? Arrangement. So I don't know why for a year when he visited me, I never had my spidey senses, which I'm very proud of, that usually rise, right, the hairs. At that moment, I was like, oh, fuck, like what is going on? And I said, um, no, I don't know about an arrangement. And Frank says, well, and he holds up his hand, his left hand, and he holds up Grant's left hand. And, <laughs> and there's wedding rings on their hands, right? Which I never noticed when he was in Idaho. And I'm fairly observant, because I'm a writer. And uh, there was not a wedding ring ever in that year. And, um, and I'm like, um, no, what arrangement? He goes, well, there's six of us that live here. All men. And uh, we, we're not in any committed relationships with women. We're committed to each other. And, um, but we date women. And women are fine here, right? You can visit. But you know, we're not going to like be in like a normal, whatever normal is. I don't even know what that is. But I'm like, OK, no, this was not, we, I didn't know that. And then I finally, like, I zone in on the pictures behind this thing because I think I needed to zone out of what was being said to me for psychological protection. And, uh, and <laughs> I'm, like, worried I'm going to be involved in somewhere sex slave trade or concubine issue, and my children are locked in my car, and I have the keys. And I don't know what to do, but I have military training, and I know I can hold my own to these two guys, right, whatever's going to happen. So I see these pictures, and they're like trapeze people, and it's Grant and Frank and Jeff, and they're like carnies, right? Which, as a writer, would have been a very interesting story like to have been told, but I thought production was not that production. They were carnies, so I go, you know, I'll be right back. And I walked really calmly and slowly in case they were following me or worried, and got in my car, and we drove away. That was it, and no, I haven't seen Grant since then. <laughs> Tyson. Oh, man, those lights are bright. Um, I was uh, kind of hasty in putting that in there. I'm a little nervous. This is the first time I've been on stage in a, in a long time. But um, so I thought that as, as I was sitting here thinking about the, the topic of the evening, that I would talk a little bit about um, how I met my wife's parents. So. Um, Years ago, I was, I was 26 years old and uh, in college, and my house burned down. And I was in a relationship with a girl that uh, had, we'd been together about a year and a half, and, and um, within a couple of weeks of my house burning down, I found out that that girl had been seeing this other guy, and that whole relationship fell apart. So like my whole life had kind of, uh, you know, literally went up in smoke. And I had sworn off women, I swore off happiness. I was in one of those states of mind where everything was just really, really grim. And um, I was hanging out at a coffee shop that was uh, next to the campus that that, uh, that I was attending. And I was finishing up a degree in philosophy and, you know, no real prospects for real work. I got into college very idealistic, but not really thinking about career. And, and um, you know, so I would hang out at this coffee shop and, and read and listen to some of the, the younger college kids that, you know, we're only four or five years younger than me, but just you know, worlds away in terms of, of life experience. And um, you know, I, I would be kind of judgy. I would listen to them talking and telling these stories. And, and uh, they were sitting in, there was a group of them sitting in a circle in this coffee shop talking about quantum mechanics. And I'm not a quantum scientist, but it's something that I found really interesting. And they had a whole bunch of the facts wrong. And so you know, I was sitting and listening and kind of um, 
laughing to myself about how wrong they had some of these things. And, and I noticed this girl and this guy come walking in, and they were dressed to the nines. She was in this beautiful gold dress, and he was dressed in a you know tuxedo type suit. And like she caught my attention, and uh, she came down and she sat down in the circle with these people. And somebody had said something that was very fundamentally wrong about quantum mechanics, and she corrected them on it. And I was like, okay, this this is interesting to me. She's um, she was she was smart, and and her her date was was up at the uh, the counter getting some coffee, and and so I struck up a brief conversation with her, and she was like, you know, I just went to the opera with this guy, but I'm about to take him home, and this friend of mine, Jason's having a party tonight, and you know, do you know Jason? And Jason happened to be one of my my close friends, and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to Jason's party. Well, uh, you know, I'll see you uh, I'll see you there, and we can talk, and we can get to know each other. So the party was great. Um, my wife and I spent hours and hours talking at Jason's house. She wound up coming home with me and stayed the night. And, and um, you know, 7 a.m. rolled around, and I had to get up and, and go to work. And my wife was like, do you have a phone? And at the time, you know, I didn't. This was, God, what, 1998. And, and uh, I didn't have a regular phone and didn't have a cell phone. And, and uh, she's like, I need to get out of here. I need to go call home. I still live at home with my parents. And I was like, OK, that's not super unusual. A lot of people uh, you know, in college live at home with their parents. And, and um, so I was like, cool. you know." nice to meet you, why don't we get together again sometime soon? And she's like, yeah, you know, I know where you live, I'll see you when I see you. And so I kind of chalked that up to just, you know, a fun night with somebody that I may or may not ever see again. And um, two days later, I'm, I'm at home and, I don't know, I was reading or playing around on the computer or something, and I hear a, a knock on my door, and I go to open up my door, and my wife is standing on my porch, completely naked. And uh, she wasn't my wife at the time, I'd had one date with her, and she'd spent the night. And I was like, Hey there, <laughs> what are you doing? And she's like, I'm really hungry. Will you take me to Taco Bell? And I'm like, okay, you know. Um, she, she, you know, I think she was going to try to kind of call my bluff. So we got in the car and, and she got in the passenger seat and we drove to Taco Bell and we ordered her tacos. And the, the, uh, the girl behind the counter caught a brief look inside of my car and then kind of didn't make eye contact the rest of the time. She handed the tacos over and, and uh, we ate our tacos and we went home and we fooled around again for, you know, a couple hours, and she stayed the night again, and, and so that was kind of the nature of our first two or three weeks together. She would just, you know, she was obsessively horny, and she would show up at my house all the time, and, and, and weird hours, and just be like, let's do these crazy fun, fun things. And uh, so we are, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm at home one day, and, and she shows up at the door, and she's like, you know, I really want to watch some porn. I've never watched porn. Do you have any porn? And this was before porn was readily available on the internet. And I didn't have a VCR. I was you know, a broke-ass college kid. I didn't have any porn. And I was like, you know, I, I don't have any. She's like, you know, we could go out to the Strip and uh, rent some at one of the adult shops out there. So uh, at, at the time, we lived in, in Lubbock, Texas, which is right in the middle of the panhandle of Texas. And the city of Lubbock was a dry city. They didn't serve, uh, didn't sell alcohol. And so they had a place that was called The Strip. It was a literal line of about 12 liquor stores right outside the city limits. They had drive-in liquor stores. Um, and they also had a strip club slash adult video store. And so we decided to go out and you know, rent a tape. And you know, we went through the store. And this was mid to late 90s, so the porn was all terrible, like just not sexy at all. And we brought it home and watched about 30 minutes of it and was like, OK, that's ridiculous. And then you know, went and fooled around again. and, and uh, that was that. So, you know, about a week later, she comes over and we're taking a bath together. And she stops and she looks at me kind of funny and she's like, Why do you have children's toys in, in your bathtub? 
And I was like, well, I have a four-year-old son. And she just kind of goes white, and she's like, oh my God, how old are you? And I was like, 27, how old are you? And she says, I'm 18. And I was like, shit. <laughs> up to that point in my life, I had never dated anybody that was younger than me. Um, not on purpose, but I just didn't, you know, I tended to connect with people that were not your average college type, you know, partier, drinker, whatever, that was not my scene. And so I was like, we just kind of both stared at each other and I was like, well, shit, at this point, it had been almost four weeks that we've been seeing each other and we were pretty sweet on each other. And she's like, okay, it's just gonna take me a little bit of time to adjust. She's like, but it's gonna take my parents, it's gonna be a little bit weird for them. She did, let me back up a little bit. She'd invited me to come over and meet her parents and uh, for dinner. And this was coming up in about a week or so. And, you know, I really wanted to make a good impression. And she's like, That's, it's going to be a little bit weird, but my parents are, you know, they're super cool. They're liberal. They're, you know, they'll, they won't judge you on your age. They'll judge you on, you know, everything else. And I was like, okay, I guess I can handle that. Uh, so she's like, it's going to be fine. So I'm a little bit nervous. And I'm like, okay. So she gets in touch with me a couple days later and is like, my parents want you to bring your son over to dinner. And I was like, all right, I can do that. So I arranged to have him on the night that I went over for dinner, and I show up at her house, and her mom is great. Uh, her mom was making dinner. She uh, took my son. My son had, uh, has Asperger's, and at the time, he was four years old, so he didn't have a lot of language at that point. He was obsessed with dinosaurs, and uh, my wife had told her mom that, and so her mom had gone out of her way to get some dinosaur cookie cutters to make cookies with my kid, which was super cool. And um, so she took him, went to the store, and they got stuff for the cookies. And I met her dad, and you know we engaged in some small talk. And I met her brother and her sister. And mom came back, and you know we had dinner, and everything is going really, really great at dinner. And we're about to have dessert, and her mom pauses, like everybody's just kind of sitting there. I'm feeling really good. Like I don't have a, a family of origin that really likes each other. Um, my family and I do not do well in the same room together. So it was really unusual for me to see these people who liked each other and were nice to each other. And I was feeling kind of at home, you know, really at ease. When Aaron's mom, in the lull in the conversation, says, so, Aaron, what is this charge on your dad's credit card from Nibbles? So backtrack to the renting of the porn. I didn't have a credit card at the time. And Aaron, when we, she said she wanted to go do the porn thing, she's like, I've got it covered. I've got a credit card. So flash forward to dinner, I'm like, and Aaron, without missing a beat, she's like, oh, Tyson and I rented some porn. And I'm like, I look at her dad. Her dad's about 6'6", and he's a very traditional, kind of West Texas-looking sort of guy. I, I look at her mom, and her mom and her dad are both just staring at me. Her brother and her sister stop what they're doing, and I've got her entire family just staring at me. And I'm thinking, okay, I can jump over the couch, I can grab my kid by the hand, and run out the door, and hopefully before her dad can come over there and, you know, bound me into the ground. And, her mom's like, oh, really? And I'm like, <laughs> and she's like, well, how was it? And Aaron was like, it was terrible. It was like, you know, all fake tits and condoms. It was not sexy at all. And they all laughed. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here with these people? Um, and they all just kind of laughed it off. And I survived the night. And we have been together for 20 years now. Um, and her family is amazing and great. So. I don't know if I went over the time limit or if I talked a little too fast. I was a bit nervous, but I like to share that story as one of, uh, you know, unmet expectations. So. Bring out the slammer of shame and Lisa's pseudonym. So this story takes place over a couple of years. 
I am a librarian by day and a sex fiend by night. After a bad winter breakup, one day I meet a sex god at a local brew pub. Tall, built, rugby player. Also a fellow teacher plays rugby on the weekends. You can bounce a coin off his ass. Oh my gosh, oh my dear. That man can fold laundry naked like nobody else can. So we hook up, meet up in dive bars, fool around. No one's looking, pull his penis out, give him a blowjob. We're here, there, everywhere. This goes on for a couple of summers. We're single here or there. We meet up. Then one summer, a couple summers ago, we're both single. He calls. I meet him at a dive bar. We're sitting there, talking sports, just sitting there. His hand gliding up my thigh, going into my Yahoo. It's getting kind of personal. And then all of a sudden, he's like, let's go to McClary's. The dive bar on Orchard. Alrighty then. So my car is full of camping gear because I, I plan to go to the mountains the next morning. So he's on his bike. I get into my car and we drive over. We're having some beers, playing some pool and just hanging out and things are getting, things are getting heated and if you could see him, you would know why because he's six foot and doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. Like, like I said, you could bounce a quarter off his ass. So good. So it's summer. McClary's, have you been there? It's a dive. Yeah, it's all right. So we're playing pool and hanging out and messing around. And then all of a sudden, he's like, let's go into the bathroom. Do you know what that means? I don't know about you, but I've never had sex in a public bathroom. And I wasn't about to, but if you saw him, you might think twice. Because have you ever seen Adonis? Have you ever seen David? Perfectly sculptured. The proportions are just right. The ass, the penis, the muscles. I would say the hair, but he was bald. So I'm like, no, no, no. We're not going to the bathroom. We're playing pool, and he's filling me up every which way, like up my romper, down my romper, because you know rompers are in style. So I'm just trying to like hold on, like just be cool, not give in to temptation. Because after all, I'm a librarian, and he's a science teacher during the school year. So finally, it's too much. I can't take it anymore. I'm like, OK, that's fine. Bathroom, let's hit it. Let's go. We go into the bathroom. In McClary's, if you've been there, you know it's not a good situation. But we're in there, and you know, like any good girl, any good girl, I'm down on my knees. You get the picture. And let me tell you, he is over six foot tall and long and thick and thick. 
and he forgot to lock the door. He didn't lock the door. So all of a sudden, as I'm going full throttle, deep throating, Debbie does Dallas. Somebody opens the bathroom door. They open the fucking bathroom door. I've never been so embarrassed in my life. I've never been so quick in my life. My foot is like a donkey and I fucking kick that door like nobody's business. And then we shut it. But now it's the walk of shame because it's summer and nobody is at McClary's bar in the middle of summer. Now I have to walk out to my car parked in the neighborhood. So he didn't get what he wanted, but we walked out, walked out of the bar, shamefully, and walked out to my car. Oh, it doesn't end there, though. Oh, no, my friend, it doesn't end there. He was going to get what he wanted, and I was going to give it to him, because if you saw him, you would want him to. And so, <laughs> up against a Malibu in a neighborhood, on Orchard, that romper came off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Up against a hood in a neighborhood with a rugby player. Yeah. I got it. We did it. Yeah. But if you ever go into McCleary's and you ask them about the time where the bathroom was slammed shut by a girl donkey kicking, they'll know who you're talking about. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Painting the Roses Red show sponsor, Sue Dahlgren of Group One Sotheby's International Realty in Boise. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from Esteban Anastasio. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night. You can submit to be a featured storyteller by writing story at storystorynight.org. Find our full archive of podcasts at soundcloud.com backslash storystorynight.